As you probably have heard, I am no longer the mayor of this town. So tonight I stand here a freedom fighter. This country was founded by freedom fighters. Men and women who love their country and their creator. 400 years ago, our forefathers left the religious oppression of another land to build this one. And the first thing they did, the first thing they did was to put a cross on the shores of the Atlantic. But it was more than a cross. It was a symbol that in this land, a citizen has the freedom to worship as he or she desires, or the freedom not to worship at all. My fight isn't about colored lights or a tree on the city square. My fight is about freedom and taking back what has been stolen from us. We are losing freedoms one by one that our forefathers, our brothers in arms, and my son died for. It is time we stood up for what they died for, for what we believe in. Our rights are being destroyed perhaps forever. But don't you see, we're letting it happen. We're asleep. We sleep and they come in like a thief in the night and they take what's left. Wake up! We can't sleep anymore. Wake up and look around you. Look what's coming over the horizon. We can't let the enemy take one more inch, not one more inch. We can't be silent anymore. The silence has to stop and it has to stop today. Young men and women are dying in foreign lands to preserve the freedoms that we enjoy every single day. Can you hear them? Just listen. It's their voices from the grave. They're wondering if they died in vain. Do we dare diminish their sacrifice by our silence? Well, if your answer is no, then you think about this. When history is written, will history say you stood by and you did nothing? Or will history say that you fought? You fought like those brave souls. You fought to preserve the memory of the young men and women that have given everything for this country and for you. We fight for freedom. We fight for freedom. We fight for freedom. American girls and American guys will always stand up and salute. We'll always recognize when we see your glory flying. There's a lot of men dead. So we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. My daddy served in the army. We lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard. Till the day that he died, he wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. Now this nation that I love is falling under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. And a 
everybody. This is Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. Happy Veterans Day to all you veterans, all you uh, people that are serving or have served. I say a heartfelt thank you for your service from me personally and my family for uh, the freedoms that we enjoy today. Uh, I thought I thought that movie clip and that uh, song, uh, that movie clip was from The Last Ounce of Courage, a movie from 2012. Kind of a Christmas movie. It was a Christian movie um, put out. It was a great message and uh, pertinent for uh, the holidays and pertinent for uh, Veterans Day. And uh, that song was uh, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue from Toby Keith. Toby Keith, who uh, has been off the road for a couple of years, uh, struggling with uh, stomach cancer, coming back on the road now. Um, looking forward to it. Got my tickets for December in uh, Las Vegas and uh, thought it was a excellent way to open up the show today. So uh, we're going to talk today about things that are going on around the world and in our country and uh, try to bring you some clarity. But before I do, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and as the interest rates took a big drop last week, and of course they bounced back a little bit this week, um, opportunities are coming. And uh, and as the, as the uh, economic data comes out showing that we're going into a recession, our uh, new jobs created for October was only 150 thousand compared with 297 the month before and of course the the last several months they show lots and lots of jobs being created even though we know that these are people getting more jobs not more people getting jobs and uh, so the data is showing that uh, it's starting to starting to be undeniable that Biden Bidenomics is not working it's not working for us it's not working for anybody else. People are uh, more and more people going on employment, more and more people uh, having a hard time finding jobs um, after they after once they go on unemployment, they're not getting new jobs very quick. They're staying on unemployment longer. Uh, credit card debt has now one point zero eight trillion dollars. Um, it looks like the American it looks like the American uh, the American budget as we go farther and farther into debt. And of course, uh, if you talk to Biden or our Treasury Secretary uh, Janet Yellen or any of the Democrats, the key to solving this problem is to spend more money than we have. So, as if as your as your debt as your debt on your credit cards goes up and up and up, remember, if you think like a Democrat, the key is to open more credit cards and charge them up the limit. And uh, we'll figure out how that works out later. But if you want some, but if you want some good advice on uh, your finances, your real estate financing, uh, call me toll free at eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. That's eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. Or one last time, toll free area code eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. If you want to get in touch with me and ask some some of those uh, questions about your real estate finances, 
or your uh, your finances in general and uh, want to find out if there's something you can do, um, but you don't want to talk on the phone, go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, put in as much information as you want me to have, tell me how much information you want back, and you'll hear back from me or one of my talented teammates will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Uh, if there's any part of the show you missed... Uh, or you uh, or you want to hear it again, or you want to share it with somebody, um, stay on edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page where you can hear this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, where you can actually subscribe for free and have it download to your device once a week. I record on Friday mornings, typically, and uh, it uploads, to, uh, uploads on Friday afternoon, and shortly thereafter, it will automatically download to your uh, computer, your phone, or your iPad, your iPod, your mini pad, your maxi pad, or anything else you can listen to a podcast on, and you can listen to it whenever it's convenient for you. Um, I will start throwing in some uh, some uh, mortgage advice, although I don't talk about it much on the radio. Uh, I'll start doing that the first part of the beginning of the second half, some things that I see going on that you might want to be paying attention to. Um, so anyway, let's go on, to. but I'll do that at the beginning of the second half, so make sure you don't miss the second half or else you'll miss, you'll miss a little tidbit every week, uh, if I have tidbits every week. So anyway, let's talk about what's going on this week. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of Michigan became the 26th person to be censured by the House of Representatives due to her using one of the most anti-Semitic slogans in history. And of course, last week I said, hey, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene um, introduced it and it got voted down. Well, that's that is right. But it came back up and I'll give you the uh, the. So as you may remember, last week, the House struck it down. The motion to censure Talib, and it was in, that was introduced by Marjorie Taylor Greene. That was a different motion, and not sure if it was some of the wording of it, or if they just don't like Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, passing passing things that Marjorie Taylor Greene puts out there. But she's, uh, you know, she's one of the only people in the in Congress, the Republicans, that will use her voice to uh, to get out the truth, and I I love her for that. Uh, Green's motion accused Talib of anti-Semitic activity, that part's a no-brainer, and called an October 18th protest in a House building, uh, office building, the one where Talib first accused Israel of genocide. She called that an insurrection. Apparently using the word insurrection was some kind of a problem for a few of Green's colleagues, including Victoria Sparts of Indiana, who said that that branding Talib as an insurrectionist crossed the line. Oh my God. You know, I like Victoria Sparts for using her uh, using her voice to uh, call out uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland, and I and I told everybody about that, and I played her I played her uh, three minute speech on the show. But you know what? Think about this: they called people that went to January six uh, protest in two thousand twenty one to protest a uh, uh, election stolen, and peacefully and patriotically marched down to the Capitol, and of course. Um, some some people that were implanted in there to try and stir up some trouble, some Antifa people. Hey, you know what? All you got to do is put Antifa people in there and have them wear a MAGA hat, a Make America Great hat. And all of a sudden, Trump supporters are insurrectionists. And of course, we saw the, the videos that the January 6th committee chose to delete, chose to leave out of the January 6th uh, commission's hearings that they uh, made for TV uh, hearings that they put on there 
But, uh, you know, they released all the tapes to Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson put them on, showing that, you know, the Capitol Police were opening the doors, letting these people come in, you know, giving them a tour, unlocking doors in the Capitol. Those people are all insurrectionists, but but not Rashida Tlaib calling her an uh, insurrectionist and st- starting these uh, these these uh, protests in the Capitol, one of the Capitol buildings. Uh, no, that's crossing the line. So Victoria Sparts, you're uh, no longer on my stud list. You're now on. Uh, we'll keep an eye on you and see how you'd behave in the future. So Green amended her wording to illegal occupation of a house building and, inter- and reintroduced her center resolution. The House had planned to consider it Tuesday night, but another Georgia Republican, Richard McCormick, introduced his own resolution, so Green withdrew hers and said she would support McCormick's. Hey, you know, it doesn't matter who introduces it, we want to censure Rashida Tlaib, also known as Rashida Taliban. Since we've never heard of Rich McCormick before, here he is. It is a sad fact, but this type of anti-Semitic hate is being promoted by a small group of members in this body, chiefly Representative Tlaib. We must hold her accountable. Well, I don't know anything else about him, but he sounds like a good guy to me because he called out Tlaib for being the un-American she is, and I guess that's okay in my book until he does something that that uh, gets him out of my book, like Victoria Sparts. So now let's talk about the catalyst for the censure and why 22 Democrats actually crossed the party lines to vote with Republicans on censuring Tlaib. Democrats who have spoken out against Tlaib have said it was her use of the anti-Semitic slogan, From the River to the Sea, which has long been used as a pro-Palestinian chant calling for the destruction of Israel. The river refers to the Jordan River, and the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. The land in between encompasses Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. So it means kill the Jews from the river to the sea. So, of course, uh, Tlaib used the slogan in a video she posted to social media last Friday. It features protesters chanting the phrase while marching. The video also ends with Tlaib delivering an election threat to Joe Biden. We stand with Israel. Mr. President, the American people are not with you on this one. Innocent civilians are going to be hurt going forward. I wish I could tell you something different. I wish that that wasn't going to happen, uh, but it is it is going to happen. I want to thank President Biden for his unequivocal support. We will remember in 2024. Oh, my goodness. Is that why we're not going to vote for Biden in 2024? Because he supports Israel? That's not why I'm not voting for Biden. I'm not voting for Biden because he's incompetent. He's dementia ridden. He's a sprig of broccoli. He's nothing. And along with all his all his entire cabinet, they're all all put in for his to from his vice president to every member of his cabinet, put in put in their uh, positions because of their skin color, their gender, their their uh, sexual orientation, uh, whether they're transgender or gay or female or black or brown or green. He didn't select anybody for their competence, their ability to do the job. He put everybody in so they would have the most diverse cabinet ever. And now we're seeing the world falling apart 
as a result of the incompetence of leadership in Washington, D.C. Once the backlash started, Tlaib, Tlaib tweeted out a blatant lie about what the from the river to the sea means. She tweeted, um, from the river to the sea is an aspirational call for freedom, human rights, and peaceful coexistence, not death, destruction, or hate. My work in advocacy is always centered in justice and dignity for all people, no matter faith or ethnicity. I'm going to have to call bull on that because, uh, hey, you know, your, uh, your, uh, your, your, mouth, your, your mouth, or let's say your tweets are writing checks that your brain can't cash because your, your, your actions speak so loudly. Um, and no, what it really is from the river to the sea, it's actually this, and this is tweeted out from an organization called Stop Antisemitism. From the river to the sea refers to the full erasure of the Jewish state from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. It is also a battle cry of Hamas, a savage terrorist group. You echo terrorists. So after weeks of walking a fine line on her anti-Israel positions, Tlaib finally lost the support of several Democrats. Here are four Democrats who had enough guts and common sense to speak out. Of course, that's so undemocrat for them to have guts and common sense or to speak out. You know, I would, I've been saying for, for the last three years, you would think we could get five Democrats in the House before we took the House to say, hey, I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not for this. Or one, sen- or one uh, senator in the, in the Senate to say, hey, I'm not a Democrat anymore. I'm going to be a Republican because this doesn't make any sense. But that's just not the Democrat way. They're all scared of, uh, of violating their, their party. So, uh, so here's four of them, uh, three of them Jewish, Jim Hines of Connecticut, Jared Moskowitz of Florida, Ted Lieu of California, and Brad Schneider of Michigan. I think it was at best massively insensitive. I mean, she in her own head may believe that uh, that that is an aspirational slogan. That's not the way certainly Israelis or Jewish people or most people hear it. I do think uh, Representative Tlaib's comments about eliminating a country, because that's what from the river to the sea means. It means eliminating an entire country. That's unacceptable of any member of Congress. So if someone repeats that phrase in America, it is highly inflammatory. People can repeat that phrase every hour on the hour if they want to. Part of free speech is people also have the right to criticize and condemn people who use that phrase. When Representative Tlaib uses language like from the river to the sea, that is not coded language. It was the um, chant, the rallying cry of the PLO in 1964 before Israel uh, took control of the West Bank and Gaza. It was the rallying cry and still is today of Hamas. It's calling for the destruction of the state of Israel and the murder of Jews. And so when a colleague, we're elected representatives, we have an expectation to measure our words, to be considerate and to think about what we say and when we make mistakes to stand up and, and correct them. And when a colleague refuses to do that and is throwing gasoline on a fire, uh, that needs to be, be countered and, and addressed and, and the record needs to be corrected. Even minority leader Hakeem Jeffries uh, who did not vote to censure Tlaib released a statement saying slogans that are widely understood as calling for the complete destruction of Israel, such as from the river to the sea, does not advance progress toward a two state solution. Instead, it unacceptably risks further polarization, division and incitement to violence. <sighs> you think you think Hakeem Jeffries, you know, uh, uh, that's the understatement of the year. It doesn't, it doesn't advance uh, progress uh, towards a two-state solution. 
Hamas doesn't want a two-state solution. Israel's fine with that, but Hamas doesn't. We'll talk about more of that in a second. As it became apparent that censure was imminent, Tlaib told on, uh, spoke on the House floor Tuesday, flanked by her equally anti-Semitic squad members. Through crocodile tears, Tlaib claimed... She puts equal value on Jewish and Palestinian lives and once again called herself an advocate for peace. Uh, yeah, all right. Speaking up to save lives, Mr. Chair, no matter faith, no matter ethnicity, should not be controversial in this chamber. The cries of the Palestinian and, ch- Palestinian and Israeli children sound no different to me. What I don't understand is why the cries of Palestinians sound different to you all. We will continue to call for a ceasefire, Mr. Chair, for the immediate delivery of critical humanitarian aid to Gaza, for the release of all hostages and those arbitrarily detained, and for every American to come home. We will continue to work for a real lasting peace that upholds human rights and dignity of all people and centers in peaceful coexistence between Israelis and Palestinians and censures no one. 71% of Michigan Democrats support a ceasefire. So you can try to censure me but you can't silence their voices. I urge my colleagues to join with the majority of Americans and support a ceasefire now to save as many lives as possible. Yeah, I point out that uh, Hamas didn't give Israel civilians any uh, forewarning before they attacked. And the reason that the cries of uh, Israeli children and Palestinian children uh, sound the same is because they're all Israeli children. The Palestinians are just putting them on social media and saying that the Israelis killed the Palestinian children when that's exactly the opposite. Kind of like the Democrats, you know, whatever you're doing, blame it on the Republicans and say they're doing it. When all the truth comes out, it looks very different. So uh, the son of one of the co-founders of uh, of uh, Hamas, Moza, Mozab Hassan Yusuf, son of Sheikh Hassan Yusuf, um, co-founder, uh, talk, spoke on Brian Kilmeade and again on uh, on uh, Hannity this week. Listen to what he says about Hamas. Hamas does not serve the Palestinian people. Hamas serves right. Iran. Those are the masters of Hamas. So uh, their lie about nationalism, that they are a national movement and they care for the Palestinian people, look at them. They are using Palestinian people as a human shield. We need to free Gaza from Hamas. This is what Israel is doing. It's doing the Palestinian people the greatest favor by uh, 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 bringing Hamas down. Yeah, the Israelis are doing the Palestinian people a favor. And you know that 20% of the people in Israel are Palestinian. And they say, why don't they all just move over there? Because it's peaceful there. So uh, we also saw this week a bunch of pictures and videos of of uh, three Hamas leaders partying in an airplane. Uh, three, you know, uh, three of these guys worth three billion dollars each. Um, but meanwhile, the Palestinian people don't even have clean water to drink. So does that tell you what the what the Palestinian leaders, the Hamas leaders, uh, think about the people? It's starting to resemble the leadership of the United States. And as I watch TV, I'm I'm uh, and seeing the leaders how they how they how they treat the citizens of of their countries. It reminds me of a scene from the movie Rocky Five. You thought I was in this for the money, Tommy? You know we were we were supposed to be like brothers. You know you don't remember that? You don't notice, but you got a deception going here. This guy here, he was using you for the bait. He wants to get you and me in the ring. That's what he wants us to fight each other. You know to make the money, right? He don't care about you, Tommy. Don't care about me neither. 
Yep, and that's that's true for most everybody in the United States government as well. So far, the only one I see who's losing money in the uh, uh, being part of the government is Trump. Everybody else is getting rich. So Tuesday night, the House voted 234 to 188 to censure Tlaib, so she's received a formal reprimand that is just one step below expulsion. Why don't we get to see a day of censure proceedings where members of Congress speak out against her? Here's Fox's Chad Bergram with an explanation. And there is something different about this resolution. Usually when they censure a member, you have to appear in the well of the House and you stand there and the Speaker of the House wraps the gavel and says, you have been censured. If you look closely at the text of this resolution, that's not in there. That's not the way they censured Charlie Rangel back in 2010. It's not what happened with Adam Schiff, where it was kind of a a party in the well of the House, where many of his defenders came, the Democrats came to the well and all rallied around him and you couldn't even hear what the Speaker was saying. So this is going to look a little bit different once you have been censured, once that vote is closed, she is censured, and that is entered in the Journal of Proceedings of the House of Representatives, and that's it. She will have been censured. Yeah, well, I'd like to see her uh, uh, had a little bit more, a uh, little bit more pay, uh, punishment than than everybody talking bad at her. But uh, anyway. Think about the complete waste of time this was just for her to get a slap on the wrist. Meanwhile, we're seven days away from our government shutting down again. Uh, so anyway, I'm all out of time for this half of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes traffic, weather, sports, and commercials, and I'll be right back with lots more. And welcome back to part two of the main event. I love coming into a crowd of uh, roaring applause. I know it's uh, they're cheering for uh, Toby Keith. Have you never seen Toby Keith in concert? Whether you like country music or not, you need to do that while you have a chance. Uh, that is one one good party time and a very patriotic there's he's the number one most patriotic artist out there in my opinion and uh it is a good time whether you like country music or not so anyway uh so uh, i don't talk about uh, a lot about real estate and financing on the radio but i'm gonna give you one little tidbit today so uh as i was uh as i've been dealing with with clients i come up with these with these things that come across that i'm thinking that people don't people don't know and one of these days i'll start putting them out on the radio um but one of the things that one of the things that maybe you don't know is that the homeowners insurance companies out there are jacking the hell out of their prices many of them are out of california but it's not just california it's uh the the insurance homeowners insurance policies are skyrocketing in all the states and uh colorado's off the hook and texas is off the hook and uh and i'm seeing it everywhere but just so you know, so number one, when you get your renewals, expect that, that you're going to see big increases in that. But in addition, I had a, a situation where uh, the seller on a house that we're doing right now underinsured his house. 
So he shopped for insurance. Some insurance company didn't cover quite the same square footage that he had. And now he's got an issue with the uh, roof, and he's trying to get the insurance company to pay for the roof because the buyer wants the roof replaced based on the inspection. And they're only covering 90% of it because he he didn't uh, insure the right square footage on his house, which in this case is only only hurting him about four or 5,000 bucks. But- Imagine if the whole house burned down and you had to pay, uh, you know, three hundred thousand to rebuild your house, and the uh, and the insurance company says, "Well, you're not insured for the whole thing. You're gonna have to come up with uh, forty or fifty thousand dollars out of your pocket." Just a word to the wise. So anyway, if you uh, if you need help on uh, real estate financing, or financing, or reverse mortgage, or you want to purchase a house in California or somewhere else. Uh, call me toll free 855-640-2020 and I will give you some common sense, smart advice and, uh, or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo. Okay. So let's talk about what's going on in, in our country now. Um, after 11 months of investigation, the house oversight committee has finally subpoenaed Hunter Biden and his uncle James Biden. This is the first time the committee has sought depositions from members of the Biden family as part of the impeachment inquiry. There's also a subpoena for Hunter Biden's former business partner, Rob Walker. So we'll be seeing these people testifying before the committee soon. And with any luck, they'll uh, they'll make it live uh, televised. In addition, the committee asked for transcribed sit-down interviews with Hunter Biden's wife, Melissa Cohen, James Biden's wife, Sarah Biden, Hallie Biden, the widow of Bo Biden, who Hunter Biden had a relationship with, and Hallie Biden's sister, Elizabeth Elizabeth Secundi. Why would he why would they want to talk to her? Well, we know that Hallie Biden had a relationship with uh with Hunter. So his brother, his brother had a, a died on May 30th of 2015. He started his romantic relationship with Bo's wife Hallie in 2015 and it went throughout 2016 but didn't wasn't wasn't aware of of the you know uh, Joe Biden didn't know about it till 17 so it was on the hush hush for the first uh, year and a half or two years and now we know that while he was having a having a relationship with Hallie Biden he was apparently facetiming from the shower with Hallie's sister Elizabeth Secundi who was also married at the time this guy has no shame this guy you know I don't know I don't know what, when I see uh, Hunter Biden, I'm saying, what is it about him that makes women so vulnerable to his powers? I don't know. I don't have it, but I got Don, so I didn't get any of them Biden chicks. Uh, so I'm happy. And one more person, the whistleblower who voters should have paid more attention to exactly three years ago, James Biden's affiliate, Tony Bobolinsky. Remember him? He uh, he did a, had a press conference just before one of the debates between the third debate or the second debate, because the third second debate got uh, canceled, so uh, the original one because uh, Donald Trump had COVID. So Tony Bobolinsky, who went in there and talked about the deal with uh, a company called Sinohawk and CEFC Energy, the company in China, and how he actually met with Joe Biden. Uh, a couple of times at the uh, Marmont Hotel in Los Angeles after uh, after he gave some speech. And he quoted uh, Joe Biden's, some of his comments to that. And of course, 
Facebook and uh, Twitter both both uh, edited or edited. They didn't edit it. They they censored it. They squelched it. They kept it out of the, out of the news so people wouldn't see him saying. Hey, you know what? It's two weeks to the election. Why would anybody vote for Joe Biden? And, of course, I believe Trump won the election anyway. So when they say, well, you know, Biden won with this many points to Trump in these swing states, it's not the truth. Because that was all mail-in ba- ballots as we're starting to see the uh, the fraud that's going on, and they're starting to catch it. But I will tell you, the Republicans better turn up the heat on all the election integrity stuff in the next 12 months. So the committee had to notify each of these people and or their attorneys with an official letter. Here's a couple of the excerpts just for fun. Letter to Tony Bobolinsky's attorney. The committee seek information regarding Mr. Bobolinsky's participation in business with and or specific meetings with various Biden family members, including Hunter, James and Joseph Biden. The committees are aware your client has spoken publicly about his previous business activities with James and Hunter as they sought to conduct business with the Chinese energy firm CEFC. The committee investigation requires Mr. Bobolinsky's firsthand knowledge of how Biden family members sought and contributed to business with, with foreign entities. I think uh, that's going to be that's going to be an awesome testimony to watch on TV. I might take the day off from doing loans just to watch the whole thing. So uh, the letter to uh, Hunter's wife, Melissa Cohen. The committees have identified over $20 million in payments to the Biden family members and their associates, the majority of which is attributable to the Biden family members. The committees believe you have received proceeds derived from a foreign source in which Biden family has held a substantial financial interest. This source is concerning to the committee because of its significant ties to a foreign government. The committee seek to understand the extent of the Biden family's involvement in transferring money to each other and therefore seek clarity regarding your role in the movement of money originating from a certain foreign sources. Uh, that would be China. In fact, I should say every time we mention a foreign government or a foreign entity, that means China. Sounds like they have some evidence on uh, Hunter's Hunter's wife that Hunter's wife helped to move the foreign money around. Uh, I bet you they have a lot of it. And instead of re- because you know Hunter Biden thinks, hey, you know what? Uh, I'll just have the money go into my wife's bank account. No one will notice that. If they ever come after me, they won't notice my wife's bank accounts. And of course, uh, James, or you know, hey, I'll open up this LLC that I'm 100% owner of, and and the and the and the uh, the managing member of, and uh, they'll transfer money around to all these LLCs that the whole Biden family has, and no one will ever know. And then eventually, we'll just kind of move the money from there into our personal accounts. Amazing. And instead, uh, and instead of reading the letter to, to Jim Biden's wife, Sarah Biden, we need some context on how she's involved. This concerns two checks we've been hearing about. You know, the ones where two brothers loaning each other money, except one of the brothers just had finished being the vice president of the United States. And of course, uh, uh, we know that apparently the day that the check was written, the day that the check was written to... Uh, to Joe Biden from from Sarah Biden. Sarah Biden wrote the check out of James and Sarah's personal account. And the day that she wrote the $200,000 check, there's a wire transfer in from a company called AmeriCorps. And apparently AmeriCorps gave the money to, to this uh, LLC 
of James Biden. No, they, they transferred to James Biden based on his promise to use his political connections, a.k.a. Joe Biden, um, to get investors from the Middle East. And, of course, anybody who was involved in AmeriCorps uh, remember that the company that went bankrupt transferred $200,000 to Joe Biden through James Biden and then filed bankruptcy a year later. So uh, it was th- it was March first, two thousand eighteen, when they wrote when they transferred the money to James, and the same day that he wrote the check to to, to uh, Joe Biden, and it was uh, a year and six months later, December thirty first, two thousand nineteen, when AmeriCorps filed bankruptcy. So all you people that had claims against AmeriCorps uh, to be paid that didn't get paid, you'll know where your money went. On August 8, 2017, Northern International Capital, a Chinese company affiliated with CEFC, sent $5 million to Hudson West 3, a joint venture established by Hunter Biden and CEFC associate Gongwen Dong. So Northern International Capital, Chinese company affiliated with CEFC, sends one of the other affiliates $5 million that belongs to Hunter and, and one of their associates. That same day, that LLC transfers $400,000 to Owasco PC, an entity owned and controlled by Hunter Biden. On August 14th, six days later, Hunter Biden wired $150,000 to Lion Hall Group, a company owned by President Biden's brother, James Biden, and his sister-in-law, Sarah Biden. So let's see. Uh, let's transfer from one affiliate to the other $5 million bucks, and then... That then that company will give Hunter four hundred thousand, and then he'll transfer it to James Biden through the Lion Hall Group. So all these LLCs make it look so innocent, and uh, and then on August twenty eighth, two weeks later, Sarah Biden withdrew fifty thousand dollars in cash from Lion Hall Group because we don't want it to to show any tie between Lion Hall Group and and Joe Biden, so or uh, or James Biden. So. She withdraws $50,000. Later that same day, she deposited $50,000 into James Biden's personal checking account. And September 3rd, five days later, uh, Sarah cut a check to Joe Biden for $40,000 for loan repayment, which is the same thing as that she put in the check for the $200,000. So let's think about this. When Tody Bombalinski uh, testified, he released some some uh, information and he, and he put out some uh, emails about this company, Sinohawk, and uh, that was doing business with CEFC. And in the email, says, as I have a, this uh, associate, James Geller, is sending to Tony Bobolinsky and copying Hunter and Rob Walker. Uh, chair, vice chair, depending on agreement with CEFC, Hunter gets $850,000 a year. CEO, Tony Bobolinsky, gets $850,000 a year. James EEIG International Consultancy Agreement, business development, uh, $500,000. Rob Walker, $500,000. Jim, Jim Biden, unknown. Sanin under EEIG agreement, $72,000. And then it says, Hunter has some office expectations. He will elaborate. James need a, needs a travel allowance of $15,000 a month. All right. And the moment there's a provisional agreement... Uh, the equity will equally be distributed to uh, Hunter, 20%, Rob Walker, 20%, James Giller, 20%, Tony Bobolinsky, 
Jim Biden, 10%, and 10% held held by H for the big guy. So apparently the four the $400,000 goes into the one LLC. 10% apparently wasn't held by H. H sent it over to J. James uh, Biden, and he gave the 10% to the big guy. So there's 40000 out of the 400000 It really adds up. It really adds up. The math is really easy once you just kind of look at it. And, of course, loan repayment. Was there any loan to be repaid? I'm sure the oversight committee will get to the bottom of this. It's really not that hard. It's really not that hard to add all this stuff up if you just follow the bouncing ball. You follow the money. You follow the money. And and when we talk about following the money, you should follow the money on. You know, why is why was Biden's uh, uh, bill to give out $105 billion uh, when Israel needs it, $61 billion went to Ukraine because we now know now that money goes to Ukraine and it filters through to the Biden family. Just like when you give money to Egypt, it filters through to the Bob Menendez family. And who knows? And, you know, what is what is uh, what is our secretary of transportation doing in Ukraine right now? Is he making some deals to get some money to him and his husband uh, from Ukraine? Because he's over there discussing uh, discussing economic recovery. What the hell does Pete Buttigieg know about economics? Why would he be over there in Ukraine? And who's pays for all these trips? I think you know the answer. So finally, the crux of the Biden crime family is going to get exposed. Here's Chairman Comer in the subpoena announcement. Evidence reveals that then-Vice President Joe Biden spoke, dined, and developed relationships with his family's foreign business targets. These business targets include foreign oligarchs who sent millions of dollars to his family. It also includes a Chinese national who wired a quarter of a million dollars to his son. Joe Biden also lied to the American people about his family making money in China. He continued to lie about it even when the House Oversight Committee uncovered bank wires, revealing how the Bidens received millions from Chinese companies with significant ties to Chinese intelligence and the Chinese Communist Party. Just this week, we uncovered two additional wires sent to Hunter Biden that originated in Beijing from Chinese nationals. This happened when Joe Biden was running for president of the United States and Joe Biden's home is listed as the beneficiary address. Yeah, by the time all this stuff is exposed, it'll be just in time for Biden to say, well, I can't, I'm not going to continue my my quest for uh, the 2024 uh, nomination to the Democrat Party for president of the United States because of my health or because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have enough melted butter for, for, for me because I'm a sprig of broccoli or uh, because for whatever reason, uh, Jill won't let me run or, you know, whatever reason. So we won't want it. We won't want to impeach him anyway and pull him out of office because that will put Kamala Harris in there. We need to find a way to impeach uh, Biden and and uh, Kamala Harris and their whole cabinet. I hear uh, talk about uh, this morning about uh, impeachment proceedings uh, for Alejandro Mayorkas, our uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, but we should also be uh, uh, impeaching our Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, uh, who apparently thinks that we're just fine financially to start a third war in this in the in the world and to support that, even though we're uh, thirty three trillion trillion dollars in debt and on our way to two trillion more a year, and uh, then we can talk about uh, our Secretary of Defense, who uh, 
since uh, Iranian proxies in Syria have hit our hit our base and our bases in Syria 47 times as of this morning, and we've only fired back twice. Apparently, he needs to be impeached as well. You know, this just isn't America strong. This isn't America first. This isn't America at all. So let's pray that we last till the next election. So let's talk about the third Republican debate took place on Wednesday night in Miami, hosted by NBC News. The field is finally starting to narrow down, so we only had five candidates on stage. Ron DeSantis polling at 13.9%, Nikki Haley polling at 9%, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy polling at 5.2%, Chris Christie uh, polling at Krispy Kremes at 2.9%, and Tim Scott polling at 2.2%. Aside from the two who need to drop out, Burgum and Hutchison, both polling at less than 1%, the only one missing was Donald Trump, polling at 56.5%. And, uh, you know what, he's 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 the only real sure thing that we have. Let's get the tough guy stuff out of the way. Moderator Lester Hall's question, why should you, not Trump, be the one to face off against Biden one year from now? Some of them use their answer to talk about Trump. But some of them also reference the Republican Party losses in numerous states and local elections on Tuesday, mostly not from Trump, but I would say more along the lines of abortion uh, policies. And one of them wanted to attack the RNC, insult the NBC moderator, and start name-dropping conservative media figures. This country is in trouble, and the elites that have put us here, they don't care about you. They don't care that you're having to grapple with higher grocery prices or have higher gas prices. They don't care that your family's less secure because of the open border that's allowed drugs and even terrorists to come into this country. Well, I care. Now, if you look where we are now, it's a lot different than where we were in 2016. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing. I'm going to be the president who will do those big things. We're not going to be small, and I'll say this about Donald Trump. Anybody who's going to be spending the next year and a half of their life focusing on keeping themselves out of jail and courtrooms cannot lead this party or this country, right, and it needs to be said plainly. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We're a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020. 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Christian, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you in the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Yeah, I have to agree that Ronna McDaniel should be getting the Republican Party together and saying, hey, you know, regardless of our abortion position and how we feel pro-life, Maybe we should change our marching orders and and put it a little different way because clearly this is what's uh, the this is the 
this is the fight we're going to die on. And because, and as, as I've said numerous times, um, I'm pro-life, but I don't believe that morality can be legislated and maybe we need to get control over our country and get God back in our country and let God start to work on people's hearts and how they feel about it. So let's hear some, some answers on Israel Hamas war, what they would call, what they would tell Bibi Netanyahu using his nickname as a little trick to sound like uh, you're already his friend. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. Biden's neglect has been atrocious. Uh, we had Floridians that were over there after the attack. He left them stranded. They couldn't get flights out. So I scrambled resources in Florida. I sent planes over to Israel, and I brought back over 700 people to safety. The first thing I said to him when it happened was I said, finish them finish them. And the reason is I worked on this every day when I was at the United Nations. And we have to remember that they have to, one, eliminate Hamas, two, support Israel with whatever they need, whenever they need it, and three, make sure we bring our hostages home. We need to be very clear-eyed to know there would be no Hamas without Iran. There would be no Hezbollah without Iran. There would not be the Houthis without Iran. And there wouldn't be the Iranian militias in Syria and Iraq that are trying to hear, hit our military men and women if it hadn't been for Iran. So what I would tell Bibi is that Israel has the right and the responsibility to defend itself. I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border, and then I'll tell him as president of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. Well, well, I think everyone everyone uh, uh, in government and trying to get a position in government, it's, uh, you know, I don't know that any of them care about, care about some of the things that they say. I think they're all trying to get in there so they can make money. They declare their candidacy and they know they don't have any uh, any chance to get donations so they can get the money. And they want to get those positions so they can get the money. And so far, I haven't seen anyone go into public office and get poorer than they were except for Donald Trump. So the debate continued uh, with Nikki Haley and uh, Vivek, Ram- Vivek Ramaswamy uh, fighting each other and, uh, and Haley calling... Uh, Colin Ramaswamy uh, scum uh, because he uh, brought up her daughter using TikTok. And, of course, the uh, debate on on whether you're going to cut Social Security. And, of course, uh, them all saying, hey, you know what? You can't if you're not talking about entitlement reform, um, you're just not telling the truth versus uh, versus cutting Social Security. And I will bring it up to everybody that entitlement reform and Social Security are two different things. You can cut entitlements without cutting Social Security, cut entitlements to the people that shouldn't be here in the first place. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. So my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back again with you next week.